0: Blessed are you, Adonai, our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us with his commandments and commanded us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Please, Adonai, our God, sweeten the words of your Torah in our mouth, in the mouth of your people, the house of Israel. May we and our offspring and our offspring's offspring and the offspring of your people Israel, the house of Israel, all of us, know your name and study your Torah for its own sake. Blessed are you, Adonai, who teaches Torah to his people Israel. Chapter 6. In verse 1, Hadassah, I'm sorry, excuse me. Would you go get my tablet off my desk? That'd be helpful. (laughs) And thus God gives us daughters. (laughs) Thank you, honey. And it came to pass when man began to increase upon the face of the earth, and daughters are born to them. The sons of the rulers saw the daughters of man were good, and they took themselves wise from whomever they chose. And Adonai said, My spirit shall not contend evermore concerning man, since he is but flesh. His days shall be a hundred and twenty years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterward, when the sons of the rulers would consort with the daughters of men who would bear to them. They were the mighty who from old were men of devastation. Adonai saw that the wickedness of man was great upon the earth and that every product of the thoughts of his heart was but evil always. And Adonai reconsidered having made man on the earth, and he had heartfelt sadness. And Adonai said, I will blot out man from whom I created from the face of the earth, from man to animal to creeping things and to birds of the sky, for I have reconsidered. My having made them, but Noah found grace in the eyes of Adonai. These are the offspring of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, perfect in his generation. Noah walked with God. Noah was be, had begotten three sons, Shem, Ham, and Jepheth. Now the earth had become corrupt before God, and the earth had become filled with robbery. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupted. For all flesh had corrupted its way upon the earth. God said to Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with robbery through them. And behold, I'm about to destroy them from the earth. Make for yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make the ark with compartments and covered inside and out with pitch. I just want to pause here and say that I couldn't help but think about this when I drove by the mikvah house yesterday and they had finally delivered all of our wood for the construction. I just thought it was interesting, right? So it, we, it was supposed to be uh, delivered earlier, and there was a little bit of a delay, so the company finally delivered all the wood. And as I drove past yesterday to see that it was there, I thought about this, making an ark of gopher wood. I don't know if the wood is gopher wood, but... See, <laughs> 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 yeah. hover said, if you go for it, it's gopher. Verse 15, this is how you would make it. Three hundred cubits the length of the ark, 50 cubits its width and 30 cubits its height. A window shall you make for the ark, and to a cubit finish it from above. Put the entrance of the ark and its inside, make it with bottom, second, and third decks. And as for me, behold, I'm about to bring the flood waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which there is a breath of life from under the heavens. Everything that is in the earth shall expire But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall enter the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. And from all that lives of all the earth, two of each shall you bring into the ark to keep alive with you. They shall be male and female, from each bird according to its kind, from each animal according to its kind, and from each thing that creeps on the ground according to its kind. Two of each shall come to you to keep alive and as for you to take yourself of every food that is eaten and gather it into yourself, that it shall be, shall be rather as food for you and for them. Noah did everything according to what God commanded him, so he did. Rukh We get to get into the study of the ark and the flood and everything that this means. I want to begin today by sharing a insight from Rebbeinu Bakya, because we learn here that we have Noah whose name itself Noach when said when said in reverse means grace Chain this is what it means when it says God saw that Noah found favor it says and Noach had favor he had Chain he had grace in the eyes of the Lord this means simply as Rebbeinu Bakya says That the wicked deserved to be wiped out, whereas righteous Noah deserved to be saved. And he had found favor, that is grace, in the eyes of God. All the Torah does here, he writes, was to explain the principle of reward and punishment. This is also what Solomon had in mind when he said in Proverbs 21.1, A good name is to be chosen rather than riches. Grace is better than silver or gold. There has been a, as many of you know, and and one of the things that we attempt to correct here at Lapid Judaism is the, the misunderstanding, the falsification, however you want to say it, of the grace message. What does grace mean in the Word of God? Because it's been interpreted to mean something completely different. Here what we see is that Noah found grace in God's eyes because he was seeking God with his whole heart. This is what is going on here with grace. Grace is unmerited favor, as some of the sages have implied. That Noah deserved to be killed along with the rest of the world, just because of his—he's he, human, but because he sought God, God had grace, had favor upon him. He was a man of integrity, and Rabenu Bakia says some interesting things about. The definition of integrity. It says the righteous man, quoting Proverbs 20 and verse 7, he says the righteous man walks in his integrity. Happy are the children who come after him. Rebain Ubakia points out that Solomon told us in this verse that a, a person cannot be considered as righteous until he has walked in integrity when serving the Lord. So what does it mean to have integrity when in serving the Lord? It says, what is this integrity which Solomon talks about here? It means that one performs God's commandments because of love and reverence for him, not because one hopes to benefit by this in the eyes of one's peers and by attaining honor in their eyes. I'm reading to you from Rebeni Ubaki here that the idea of integrity, because we know what integrity means. Integrity uh, means basically honesty. Et- you're an ethical person, that behind closed doors, you're going you're, you're to be trustworthy and so on. Biblically here, when we're talking about obeying God's word, the concept of integrity as brought down by the commentator here, Rebeni Bakia, means that when we serve God, that we're serving him out of love of God. We're doing this because we want him to be our focus. We want him to be our purpose. We want him to be our why. And our why cannot be and should never be because we're trying to gain something or earn something or derive a benefit from something. Nor can our why or should our why be that we're trying to impress someone or to gain honor from them or acceptance from them. Right? That's, the, that's integrity. Integrity means I'm serving God because of who he is and what he's done for me. You know, we, we give uh, our tithes and our offerings, and we know, all of us know that the sages have made it clear because the Bible has made it clear that when we give tithes and offerings, we are going to reap a financial benefit in some way, shape, or form. God may not, of course he could, and that's perfectly fine. He could drop a sack of money on your front porch, but a financial benefit could be that you know what that that uh, that air conditioning unit that was supposed to go out and just keep running You know what I mean? Those kinds of things that's how that God could give us a financial benefit by saying that you know. You could have had, God forbid, you could have had a very serious illness, but now you're not, so therefore you're saving all of that financial stress and all that other emotional stress. Having said all of that, we give our, the, the key word in, in giving ties, let me put it this way, is the word giving. It, it's a gift. If I give somebody a gift, I should not expect anything in return for that. I'm giving them something. Let me just say, some people have a difficulty with handling money on Shabbat, so to speak. I don't want to get off into that, but tithing, tithing is not handling money on Shabbat. First of all, I gave a check today. A check is not money. How, 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 many, how, many, know, how many know? you realize that? Let me ask you something. If, you're, if you have no money in your bank account, but you have a stack of checks, do you have money? A check is an IOU. It's not money. You say, wait a minute. You can take a check and trade it at a store, can you? They can refuse your check, but they can't refuse your money. Why? Because a check is not legal tender. That's why they have a choice whether they can accept it. This is where you get into the Jedi skills. (laughs) But it's still not handling money anyway. Because to handle money means you're not supposed to handle money in order to trade. When you come to tithe, you're not trading anything. You're giving it. This is a gift. It's a gift. Let me ask you this question. Can you give a gift to your friend on Shabbat? Now, let me ask you a question. Can you give a gift to someone on the Sabbath? If you can give a gift to someone on the Sabbath, you can give a gift to God on the Sabbath. So, but I digress. Integrity means we serve God because we love Him. How many know that your why for doing this, and by the way, Judaism's why for following Torah ultimately goes back to He set me free from Egypt. That's our why. It ultimately goes back to that. The why. Now, this is important for us who understand that Yeshua is the Messiah because from Judaism's perspective, the whole idea that Jews work for their salvation has never existed. That is a straw man argument that has never been. I know everybody talks about it all the time. You don't, you don't have to work for your salvation. You're under grace. You don't. Let me ask you a question. When you go out into the world right now, do you see people trying to keep the Ten Commandments? Why are we trying to talk them out of it and into grace? Think about it. Now, follow me. If you go out into the world, do you experience people who are trying to live by God's law? If that's the case, then why do we have tracks that say you don't have to follow God's law, you just have to follow grace? Nobody's following God's law, so the track is irrelevant. You understand what I'm saying? So no one out there is trying to follow the the law of God. So why are we trying to talk them out of the law and into grace? They're like, what? You don't have to keep the Sabbath. Please stop doing it. What is the Sabbath? Never even heard of it. The Ten Commandments these days is a decoration on our courthouse wall. Oh, no, it's not. Not anymore. It's because we took it down already. We took it down before they took it down. Someone says, how come they don't allow the Ten Commandments in the courthouse wall anymore? And God says, Well, what do you care? You're not keeping them anyway. Think about it. All these people are like, you know, they're standing, we got our picket signs. Don't take it down. Don't take it down. And God's got his picket sign on the other side of the fence. Says, you already did. You already did. God is not Deco, He's Dio. And we're like, hey, you know, I mean, we, we got to go back to the source of the problem. It's like, listen, if you don't spend, how many of you understand the business world, if you don't spend your budget, you, it, they'll take it away from you, right? That's why everybody wants to spend the budget. <laughs> we need this. God says, if you don't use the commandments, I'll take them from you. Give them to somebody else That we'll keep them. That's the whole deal. So we have, to, we have to understand that never has Judaism ever worked for the salvation. It's never been the point. The why the, the of the Torah has always been because God set us free. God set us free by his own hand. And as a result of that, now we keep the Torah. That is the biblical line of thought. All that other message you've been taught your whole life is just... I don't know what it is. I'm not even going to speculate what it is. I'm just going to tell you it's not true. Let's leave it there, okay? Now, we come over here. Now, we understand Yeshua, when he's sitting at the Seder table with his disciples, and he says to them, I want you to do all of this now because of me. What's the this that he's talking about? He's talking about the Pesach Seder. He says, now, I want you to do it now. Now, he says, I want you to do this in remembrance of me. Now, when we sit down to do a Seder at Pesach, we are doing that in remembrance of the Exodus. So, Yeshua says, I want you to do this now in remembrance of me. Why? Because he's the lamb that took us out of the spiritual Egypt. So the reason we follow the Torah, our why, is, goes back to redemption, i.e. Yeshua. Okay? That's our why. So the, if we want to do have, here's going back to my point, if we want to have true integrity, we have to understand that the reason we are who we are, the reason that I am who I am and I do what I do, to quote Popeye, is because of Yeshua, and anything that i do outside of him therefore is vanity because if i'm doing torah and i forget the exodus it is vanity because i've lost sight of why i'm even doing what i'm doing to begin with and it becomes vanity this is listen rebeniu bakya said here we cannot be keeping torah because we're trying to impress somebody or gain something. He wouldn't say that if there wasn't a propensity to keep Torah in order to impress somebody or to gain something. <laughs> Which my way is vanity. What does it mean to be vain? You're so vain. You think this Torah is all about you, about you. <laughs> I told you it's a journey through Genesis. <laughs> It's vanity because you're up there thinking, wow, this is all about me. All of this is all about me. It's all about how I feel and what I want and what I'm going to get. And see, it leads us in the vanity. And again, I'm just trying to help people. When you go into the community and there's Jews out there who don't believe in Yeshua and they reject you as a legitimate Jew or whatever that nonsense is, and you're, and you're, you're like, oh, they rejected me. Did y'all caught See, this half caught it. <laughs> they rejected me. And Yeshua said, come here, come here, come here. I, I love you. You know I love you, right? Right? For the sake of the Holy and Blessed be He, I now slap my son. Uh, uh, uh. <laughs> They're rejecting me, not you. Because everything's great right? Everything is wonderful when you, when you walk into, the, into, the, into certain places and they're like, oh, look, a Yid. You're new to the community? Yeah. Oh, great. This, you look so awesome. Look at you. You're great, man. You want to come with us? I believe in Yeshua. You're out! You're like, they rejected me. They rejected the Mashiach. And I don't know about you, but I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. It is a mark of a righteous person, Rebeni Bacchia says, who walks in integrity with his God, that he does not boast about his virtues and the good deeds that he performs. What, is, what do we have to boast about anyway? I mean, really think about it. The knowledge that we have, do I get up, do you get up, do I get up and t- cause my brain to work? I mean, really, the insights that I see, how, I can only attribute that to God. Because I have no talent in and of myself. I don't know about you, but I did not start my breathing today. I had nothing to do with it. I went to bed last night and bam, I woke up. Just like that. <laughs> bam. <laughs> Proverbs 10.8 says, The wise in heart will accept the commandments. Let me read that because Proverbs is in the the little Gideon Bible, so as we know it's Scripture. Proverbs 10.8. Proverbs, a lot of times you get a New Testament with Psalms and Proverbs, so we know that's legit, right? Proverbs 10.8 says where he said, The wise in heart will accept the commandments. Let's read that again. The wise in heart will accept the commandments. What's the converse of that then? It says, Whereas the one who speaks foolishly will be afflicted. So if you're wise, you'll accept commandments. If you don't accept the commandments, then that makes you a. See, it's not difficult. It's not challenging, right? We just kind of work through it together, see the little bouncing ball, da da says, what Solomon meant was that the person who is truly wise gets hold. Say, gets hold. Gets hold. Now, some, we ha- colloquially here in Lapide Nation headquarters, we have a little saying, and, you know, it's, it's our little culture here, and it's get you some. And uh, it just means take hold of it. That's what that means. Take hold of this. Get you some means take hold of this, right? It's part of our culture here, so it's who we are. It says, what Solomon meant was that the person who is truly wise gets hold of God's commandments with his hands and performs them without speaking about it with his lips. A person of integrity will just be doing God's work. And doing God's will and not be boasting about it. Look what I know. Look what I do. Look, what, look how good I am. And let me show you what, how, whatever, whatever, whatever. That's the person who's got their head down just doing the work and not boasting about it. That's a person of integrity. And they're doing it because they love God. If we find ourselves serving God be, out of any other method besides loving Him, we're doing it wrong. Now, you have to have balance, like I talked about. You have to have a proper fear of God, because God is God. But ultimately, we want to serve Him out of love of God. We have in there are this portion of this chapter a discussion of God talking about the decline of society and what was going on. I just want to share some thoughts, some insights into what the specifics were regarding this. And I want to begin by sharing out the Midrash Rabbah, Chapter 26 and verse 5. Because on the one hand, what I'm about to read, most of you are going to pick up on. You're going to go, oh my gosh, that's happening now. And has been happening for a while. And that's true. We are definitely in the days of Noah. Now, that's, the bad news is we're seeing the, the decline of society. But the good news is, is where it becomes dark, that's where the light shines the brightest. See, this is why I believe that Lapid Judaism has been raised up from the ash heap, as it were, now. You know, people say, well, I don't know, that's crazy. I've never heard of this before. You know, everything has started somewhere. Did you know that? No, this is profound. This is deep. Everything that has ever been has, uh, has had a beginning, to include the planet. How many of you know that? Everything started somewhere, right? Even Judaism started somewhere, right? Started with Abraham. So you say, well, I don't know. This never happened before. Precisely. God has to do something, sometime, somewhere. It just so happens that you're the something, somewhere, sometime. Here it is. From whomever they choose. What was going on here? Now, we talked about the giants. We read about, rather, the giants and so on, or the Nephilim. There's a couple of schools of thought. The idea is the Nephilim were actually... Fallen angels who were having a relationship with female, human females, giving birth to basically demons. I know it sounds far out, but Pure Kid, everybody else talks about this. Some of the demonic spirits that we have that are around come from those unions. The other idea is that these are leaders who looked around and just took any woman they wanted, no matter who she was. And most particularly, there's a lot of discussion here about the prima nocta, that, that they would look at a woman who was about to get married, and they would go and take her on that wedding night, and so on. Very wicked. Now, the question becomes, well, which is it? Is it fallen angels, or is it the leaders? And the answer is yes. I believe both, both situations were going on. It was a a, a time of great depravity. So it says, from whoever they chose, talking about the women, it says, this is a reference to males and animals. So something else that was going on in addition to all that is that men would take men to be their spouses, and then they would take also animals to be their spouses. I'm sorry, can you say 2019? 2019. This is a reference to males and animals. As it says, Rabbi Huna said in the name of Rabbi Yosef, the members of the generation of the flood were not blotted out from the world until, listen to this, they were not blotted out from the world until they wrote marriage documents for the males marrying other males and animals. I'm just reading the Midrash of that's all I'm doing. It says that the, 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 the race was not wiped out until they started having marriage documents written up for males marrying males and animals. And it says in the, in the insights, perverse sanction. This is the name of the insight. Our Midrash indicates that these sinful unions in and of themselves would not have been sufficient cause to destroy the world. It was only the marriage contracts that sealed the world's fate. For these contracts showed just how perverse the people had become. In their... I'm reading here. I'm reading. I'm not making anything up. All right? In their, quote, progressive worldview, there was no... Objective right or wrong. Everybody today has a subjective idea of what is right and what is wrong. I'm gonna say something that's gonna be uncomfortable. Are you ready? And I gotta be careful because people are just sometimes they drop like <laughs> flies around here. You get all scared and everything. Yeah. <laughs> um, Rabbi, you said some things that made me feel uncomfortable. <laughs> it is December 7th, right? Baruch Hashem. Thank you, God, for helping us defeat evil. Um, See the movie Midway. It was great. Yeah, uh, that's <laughs> right. Totally. Uh I just said that people want to have subjective morality, right? Which means basically anything goes as long as I think it should go. I'm going to say this now, and I want you to hear me because it's true. That has even become part of religious people's ideas. I'm just going to throw this out there. In the church today, just, just look at it. In the church today... Morality has become subjective. It's all about how the Spirit is leading you. That is a very, very flowery and very holy, righteous, sanctified way of saying, I'm doing whatever I want to do. That's called subjective morality. And let me tell you the horrendous indictment that is upon God, Shalom. if the Spirit leads Amet to do something... And then the spirit leads Havard to do something completely different. That is a confused spirit. So now we're accusing God of being, of being duplicitous, multifaceted in his ideas. People say, well, you know what? God is leading you to do that, my brother, but he's leading me to do something else. What does that say about God? All that is is I want to do whatever I want to do, and the, the card I'm going to use that you can't refute me on is God is leading me. And if you, if you say, no, he's not, you're like, oh, I can't believe you said that. <laughs> this is why we need the word of God. This is what happens, by the way. You say, well, how did we get here? Some of you, most of you are intelligent and just, you know, not insane, You're thinking to yourself, Rabbi, you're right, I see it, it's true. I mean, it's obvious, you don't have to be a brilliant scientist to see it, it's so clear. How do we get here? And the answer is, is when you start nullifying commandments, you just keep going down the list. You say, well, I'm I'm good with getting away from the food laws. You know, it's like they say, when the Nazis were after the Jews, everybody was like, that's fine. The Nazis were after after the, uh, you know, the communists, that's fine. And the Nazis were after the, uh, the little uh, gypsies. That's fine. But when they came for you. And so when we start nullifying God's word, well, then when, when do we stop nullifying God's word? And now we've nullified God's word. We've, we've brought it down to a love commandment. And now love is being defined, uh, defined as love whoever you want or whatever you want. And now we're like, oh, no, no, we can't do that. And God's like, well, listen, you nullified my commandments a long time ago. Going back to the ones that were on the wall. You know who took those, picture, those commandments down off the wall? God did. You said the devil took the Ten Commandments out the courthouse square. No, he didn't. God took them down because God said, devil, take them down. You know why he did? So that the people could begin to feel what it means to live in a godless world, that they might make teshuva. Because as long as the pretty picture was up there, we were under the delusion that somehow we were doing that. Because after all, we had the picture. And if you have the picture, it means you're doing it. Right? It's like the guy that robbed the convenience store with a cross around his neck. No, that happened. You're like, well, how could he do that? Somehow wearing the cross meant he was doing something, even though while he was in the midst of committing armed robbery. So it says, in the progressive worldview, there was no objective right or wrong. One's overriding obligation was to be true to himself. Oh, my gosh. What am I? What's going on here? I'm reading this from the Midrash of I'm not making this up. I'm just reading it line by line. True to himself. To express his personality by following his desires, whatever or wherever they lead. That's what people were into. The midrash Shabbat, or excuse me, Rabbeinu, uh, or, or excuse me, I'm sorry. Rabbi Monk writes this. He says there was also Hamas going on. Havers talked about this a great deal. Hamas. Well, I'm sorry, it's written in Hebrew, so let me make sure I'm correct. Chet, Mem, Samik Hamas. Yes. It says, but it's also Hamas. So in the days of Noah, they were dealing with Hamas. What's Hamas? It says, Hamas, which leads a society to its destruction. The word means a crime committed through cunning or malice, a crime which human justice has not the means to pursue, a crime which only the voice of conscience could prevent. When this voice is smothered in a society wallowing in immorality, then nothing can avert a catastrophe. In other words, we know how to prevent armed robbery. You have laws and police. But how do you prevent people from stealing from each other in such a cunning way that you can't put your thumb on the crime? In other words, Stealing and robbery and wanting to cheat people was at the core of who they are, and that's Hamas. See, this is why God is so into tithing. Because tithing teaches the opposite of Hamas. See, because I can, I can prevent somebody... Oh, golly, I told myself I wasn't going to do this. I'm going to try to be the kinder, gentler rabbi that makes everybody happy. Did you, did you get the scones? Did they come in? I was in the Marine Corps. Listen, you, I can prevent somebody from coming in here and committing an armed robbery, stealing all the stuff off the platform. That's why we have a sheriff's deputy out front. And we have other CIA operatives in the building. Okay, I can prevent that. What I can't prevent is somebody coming in and robbing the shul because they're not tithing. They're taking advantage of all the stuff, the air conditioning, the lights, everything, all the the brand new sidewalks. And they haven't contributed anything. See, that's Hamas. Hamas is. I don't believe in tithing. You shouldn't handle money on Shabbat. Nobody's knocking on my door on Monday. (laughs) See, that's just a That's just a pious way. Not, not, People who give other days. Don't, don't get me wrong. Which is fine. You don't want to give on Shabbat. That's not a problem. I'm not talking about those people who actually do that. But sometimes that's just a pious way of getting around the giving, so that you can be Hamas. You can be part of Hamas. You can launch rockets into our shul. You can show up and steal everything around you. Nobody can put a finger on it. That's the point. Nobody can. It's like, who stole the mezuzah? That's why God's so into tithing, to keep us from being Hamas. Because as Haver, because Hashem gave Haver this revelation, that was ultimately the root of everything, Hamas. That's what led to the males marrying males and marrying animals, and that was led to the leaders taking the wives, whoever they wanted. It was all because it belonged to me, and I owe nobody nothing. And somebody else is going to take care of it anyway. They're going to cover the bill for me. So we wonder how we go to not following God's law when our our communities are full of Hamas. When you show up at a potluck dinner and you, because you had a busy week, everybody was supposed to bring something and you were supposed to bring something too, but you decided to bring a bag of chips because you had a busy week, that's Hamas. Now if you show up and you say I'm not going to eat anything, that's different. I'm going to show up, I don't want to be a part of the whatever's going on, but I will not take a plate of food cuz I didn't bring anything. That's that's different. You understand what I'm saying? Now, you know, I just want to say this cuz somebody'll gig me on it later. If you're having financial difficulties and all those kind of things, if you can't make if there's any event that we have at Sar Shalom, and you have legitimate financial challenges and you want to go, but you can't afford a ticket, call the office and somebody will pay for it. Okay? You understand what I'm saying? I don't want you to get the wrong idea because people, you know, get crazy. So just understand that. Believe that. Trust that. Know that. I got I to... Gotta All right, so here we go. I want to share, I got so many insights, but let me just share a couple things here. I wanted to get to Hosea and Ezekiel, but this is Midrash Shabbat. Abraham was an, was an evangelist, it's talking about. Rabbein Ubaka talks about Abraham the evangelist and his mission and what he went around trying to convince people to believe in the one true God. Midrash Breshit talking about the ark, Midrash Breshit um, 26.2. This kind of goes along with the theme of doing the commandments with a true love of God. He said, Rabbi Haim Schmoldwitz persists that a human being has the ability to invest in animate objects with special spiritual qualities and or powers. We learn about that in the Brit Shah, right, where they took napkins or whatever or claws and they sent them out and like it brought healing to people. He's like, that's so crazy. I know it's in Judaism. What's crazy about it's in the Midrash. (laughs) It's also in the Bible because what did Elisha do when he said, the boy is dead? He gave his staff to Gehazi and said, put my staff on the boy's face. Why? Because that staff had been imbued with holiness. And so there's a discussion in here about why Noah didn't have children until he was so old. And then one of the answers is given that God was sparing Noah a lot of pain because he would have had to, if he had had a bunch of kids, he would have had to make multiple arcs. And, and there's a comment, I don't, it's a very long comment in here, but the, the, the dialogue is, well, he would have done that. He would have made, you know, a bunch of arcs. What father would not have worked himself to death making as many arcs necessary to take care of his children? But that wasn't the point, because it's not about nuts and bolts. The ark was more than just a boat. It was a spiritual vessel. This is the thing about our Torah observance. has to be more than just Torah observance. The ark that we're building has to be imbued with spirituality. This is the, this is the full comment. I'm going to take a minute to read it. Here it says, With this idea in mind, we can return to Noah's ark and suggest an answer to our question. that Those questions are based on a false premise. That is, building an ark to protect against the flood was not a simple matter of working out the plans, preparing the materials, assembling the structure. If it were, then Noah could certainly have found a way to build as many arks as his family required. But the truth is that to survive the flood, Noah had to do more than the bare physical act of building a seaworthy vessel, of combining its many parts into a unified whole. He had to infuse that vessel with divine power of Yeshua, salvation. Envelop it in a bubble of heavenly protection. Endow it with the spiritual capacity to serve as a refuge amid the raging flood and the cosmic upheaval that accompanied it. There was only one way for Noah to accomplish his task. He had to pour his heart and his soul into building the ark for the sake of God's honor. This, that is, to transform the entire construction project into a protracted public call for Teshuvah by graphically reminding the populace day in and day out over 120 years that the calamity was sure to come and that they would perish if they refused to repent and change their ways. And if that was the only effective way to build the ark, there was only one person who could do the work with all the devotion and self-sacrifice required, the great and righteous Noah himself. He could not delegate anything to others. All the aspects of the project fell to him, and that made erecting more than one ark a near impossibility. At the very least, it would have been an exceedingly difficult burden, one that God sought to avoid imposing upon him. The word ark is teva, and it means word. So they literally entered the word to avoid the flood. What is this teaching us? It teaches us that when we follow the commandments, we're following God's word. We're building an ark. But if our ark is just nuts and bolts, if it's just pieces of construction put together in order to make a unified vessel, devoid of the heart and soul of spirituality and the true purpose for which we're doing it, it is nothing that is going to protect us from the floodwaters. More importantly... It's nothing that is going to be effective in teaching Teshuvah to the world. Many people have been distracted in their construction of the ark with the ark itself. And God said, I didn't call you to get enamored with the boat. I called you to get enamored with the mission, which is to get everybody in the boat. Baruch haba b'shem Adonai.